So take a look around. What do you have that God hasn't given you? Every heartbeat, every breath, every good and perfect gift comes from Him. He is the ultimate giver. He literally gives us gifts that we can't comprehend. Think about this. There are more electrical impulses generated in one day by a single human brain cell than by all the telephones in the world. Or how about the fact that food tastes delicious? It didn't have to taste delicious. It could have all tasted like kale. But no, it's fantastic. We plan our day around good tasting food. God gave us this. And then there's our health. We're not healthy because we deserve it. We didn't jump in a 55 gallon drum of yogurt and spinach. Our health is a gift, a gift that is too often taken for granted. God has always given to me knowing that he would get little in return. He is a father that enjoys giving good gifts to his children. I've heard it said that it's possible to give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And that is his example. For God so loved the world that he gave. Like most people, I'm often driven by what I don't have when I should be driven to seek the heart of God. Because God's heart is revealed in his generosity. Maybe my heart is too. Church family, always great to see you. Uh, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, when it comes to stewardship, we have time, we have treasure, we have talent. We pray that we'd be prompted to bring our best in all of those arenas, particularly now when it comes to our time. Let our attention be given to your word. So often what we put into something is what we get out of it. And so let us be attentive. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so it's almost that time for Thanksgiving, and I don't know how many of you are looking forward to the Thanksgiving meal. Uh, I don't know if you have a favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal. How many of you like stuffing? Who would say they're stuffing people? Yeah. Uh, what about potatoes? Who would say the mashed potatoes? Okay. That was our teen group. They love the mashed potatoes. Uh, for me, stuffing, pecan pie, uh, it's all really, really good. And uh, I hope God blesses your Thanksgiving celebration. In fact, next Sunday uh, at Amazing Love, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving with pie. Feel free to sign up in the lobby. We also have a new member welcome. It's going to be amazing. Well, because this is all going on, I wanted to set up a hypothetical situation. I wanted you to imagine that at your celebration, you don't have any stuffing. You forgot the stuffing. And so I want you to also imagine you have a 12-year-old boy in the household that you're going to give $40 to in order to go and buy ingredients for the stuffing. So you give him $40 and you say, you need to buy sourdough bread. You need to buy sausage because sausage stuffing is delicious. You need to buy celery, dried cranberries, little chicken stock, Granny Smith apple, not that I know the recipe or at all, butter. Um, we made stuffing recently. But anyway, uh, get all these things and come back. Send them off. Let's just say in this situation, he comes back, instead of greeting you when he gets home, instead of going to the kitchen, goes straight upstairs with a bunch of bags. And you're like, well, that's weird. So you go to his room and you see what's going on. You see in those bags a ton of candy, comic books, and toys. There is no bread, 
There is no chicken stock. There are none of the ingredients. There is no receipt, and there is no change. Now, if that were the case in this situation, would you give this young man another $40 and say, go try it again? I would not. (laughs) Whereas, let's say the boy comes back, goes directly to the kitchen, has everything you asked for, gives you the receipt, gives you all the change down to the last penny. When Christmas comes, might you entrust him to go do it again? And maybe even entrust him with more? I bring up this hypothetical because what we're talking about today is money management. And uh, if you're new to Christianity, if you're just joining us here at Amazing Love, uh, something I I just want to confirm again is is that we're talking about giving, but we can never outgive the giver. That we're here because God is a giver. And he wants way more for you than from you. He's the God who gave up his son and the son who gave up his life so that we could be redeemed. In the first week, we talked about how everything is God's. And so when we give, we just give back. We're not giving at all. Last week, Pastor Jeff did a phenomenal job talking about how God will provide. We can trust that promise. He knows our needs. And because God will provide, why don't we look at what we're giving back proportionally I don't know how many of you have done that homework, looking proportionally at what they're giving back to God. Well, today, we're going to get in the nitty-gritty of money management through the lens of God's Word. And uh, as we get into that topic, how do you think Americans are doing in general at managing wealth and managing money? Let me ask it differently. How are Americans in relationship to debt? So here are some just statistics. Uh, When it comes to credit card debt, the average American carries about $5,000 of credit card debt. Right now, for college students who are going out of a four-year university, they exit college with about $30,000 of student loans, and some students might know what I'm talking about. When it comes to all the debt in America, if you would combine mortgages and car loans, credit cards, everything, It amounts to trillions of dollars to the degree that every American actually is indebted $96,000 if we just average it. Woo! That's a lot of debt. When it comes to practical advice on how to handle money, um, something Amazing Love has done for a few years now is Financial Peace University. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Financial Peace University, maybe uh, learned about it. Here's Dave Ramsey, great, great course uh, if this is really in your arena. And Dave Ramsey would say, you know, when it comes to American spending, here is what's very common. In their budget, first they will live on it. And that made sense to me when I was a bank teller. Fridays were awesome because people were coming in with their paychecks when you used to have paychecks. Do you remember that age? And, and so there was like this buzz in the uh, bank office because they were telling me what they were doing on Friday night, where they were going, what concert, what sale they were going to get, you know, all that was just, ah. Because Americans live on it first, right? Yeah, we have spending money. And then if we have some left over, we save. And then if we have some left over, we give. Now, based on what we're considering through the lens of God's word, is this a godly way of budgeting money, handling money, managing money? So Dave Ramsey says, if we're informed through the Bible, faithful first fruits, proportional giving, what we want to do is kind of flip that. We want to start by saying, God, I love you. 
I'm going to silently shout it. No one's going to know but you and me, but I want to give to you. Then I want to save because you're going to need a roof. You're going to need tires. All that's going to come. And then I'm going to live. It's a beautiful way to manage money. But really, as we talk about money management, I want to get our lens off the lesser things like getting out of debt and onto the higher things, which is giving God glory and making an impact. See, what we know from the lens of Scripture is that we are just managers and he is the owner. It's kind of like a local McDonald's branch that uh, he's the store owner, we're the manager, and we're going to have to give an account. And there are good ways to manage and there are bad ways to manage, which we'll talk about. But as we get into the lesson, I wanted to share the captivating context of God's word. And um, the writer today is Luke. Uh, he's a doctor, and maybe that's why this is just brilliant. I know he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But if you think God doesn't talk about money, I just want to let you know that it's just filling these chapters, uh, Luke 14 through 16, where we are. And I want to just give you a, a bit of what the groundwork Luke has already paved if you read the whole letter. Uh, so here's the captivating context um, of Luke uh, and, and when we get to our section. So first in chapter 14, he talks about the cost of being a disciple. Okay, so that's one of the lessons he remembers. And he calls out that a disciple will give up everything to serve. That's, that's how you got to do it. You have to be willing to give up everything if you want to serve Jesus. Then he tells the parable of the lost coin. Now, the point there is to give up everything to have Jesus. doesn't matter what it is. We're going to have Jesus by losing the world. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Then a very famous parable. I don't know if you've heard of the prodigal son. Do you know what prodigal means? Prodigal has to do with money management. It means wasteful. It's the parable of the wasteful son. And so what the point is here, he almost lost Jesus in the pursuit of everything. And then after today's story, we have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And what's the point there? The rich man has everything but not Jesus, and in the end, he would have done it over in a heartbeat. He was like, that was no good. Can I go back? Can I warn others? Don't do it the way I did it. So it's brilliant, isn't it? Luke is talking about all these principles of what money does, what's at stake, how we hold on to Jesus, and then the parable of the shrewd manager. Now I'm excited to preach on this one because I've never preached it because it's kind of tricky. And, and, and you might see why it's a little bit tricky. We'll get into that. Um, but the shrewd manager and money management and the point. So let's get into it. We're in Luke chapter 16. Feel free, your worship folders or on the screen, your Bibles. Uh, here we go. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be a manager. Then the manager said to himself, oh, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Then the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. 
Let me ask the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly or wisely. Now, why this is tricky is because it prompts us to ask the question, should we be dishonest with money? <laughs> and the answer, should we be dishonest with money, is not at all. <laughs> That's not the point of the parable. In fact, uh, I, I'd encourage you to read the book of Proverbs when it talks about weights and scales and dishonesty and then ask that question, not at all. But parables are told to make sometimes a singular point. And the singular point is coming up next. So as he goes on, he says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. And here's the main point. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Basically, use earthly money to make eternal impacts. That's what it's all about. And he goes on to say, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the words we get to consider. Could you turn to your neighbor and say out loud, congratulations, congratulations. You are a manager. You're a manager. Very good, very good. And I don't know if that's an upgrade for your job title today, but that's what we are. We're managers, every one of us, business degree or not. So I was learning uh, some history from Alexander the Great. Um, you might have heard of him, led an empire for a while. And uh, interesting story about when he was about to die and his last wishes. Uh, as he was about to die, he had some wishes. Here's a picture of him. And that is that on the way to the place he was buried, he wanted the treasury to be emptied of the silver and gold and precious jewels. And he wanted all of that riches, the, the silver and gold, to be strewn along the way to where he'd be buried. So just scatter all the wealth. He also requested that people would see his hands outside the coffin. Hang my hands outside the coffin on the way to the place where I'm going to be buried. Now why is that the case? He wanted to let others know that as he gains so much during his life, he takes none of it with him. Empty the treasury, I, I don't own it anymore. He wanted to display his hand so that people see he's going to death empty-handed. The story goes, these are the last words of Alexander the Great. When you bury my body, don't build any monument. Keep my hands outside so that the whole world knows the person who won the whole world had nothing in his hand while dying. That's a pretty good perspective, isn't it? The perspective of a dying man is to live empty-handed, open-handed. And I bring it up because it's not the perspective of the world. The world in which we live says, you know, the person with the most toys wins. But that ain't true. The person with the most toys still dies and takes none of those toys with them in the end. 
When it comes to the way society does money, society always looks me first. And this is actually the essence of what it is to mismanage the money that God gave. So if you're taking notes, here is our first note. We mismanage money when we make it all about me. When we don't live with the perspective that we can take none of it with us. In fact, there are many passages warning us about just pursuing money all the time. The love of money, right? Greed. Uh, The brother of James, uh, he said this, or the brother of Jesus, James, said this. He said, you desire but don't have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is the world, this is the way we live, isn't it? This is the problem with the prodigal. The problem with the prodigal is that when he asked for the inheritance, he wasn't out to build an orphanage. He wasn't trying to build a temple. He wanted it for me, my pleasure, my good. That's the problem of the rich man and Lazarus. The story of, uh, there is basically saying, how could you not notice Lazarus, the, the man outside your gates who barely has enough to live on and yet you have plenty and won't even give him crumbs? But we're not too far off. There's a reason this series is hard. And it's because we can all relate to stony hearts. Our hearts are stubborn. Our hearts don't want to live open-handed, but closed-fisted. We live in a culture that promotes, you do you. You get what you want as much as you can. You live for pleasure and possession. Pursue that as if it's the only thing, the main thing in life. And so we need to repent. We need to understand how closely this hits our hearts, how hard this is because of our sinful nature. And as we do, as we want different hearts, hearts that beat for God, the only way I know how to get there is looking at Jesus. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas. That's the story of Jesus who came down from heaven to earth. Jesus is the Word made flesh who had the glory of perfection and all the riches that went with being the King of Kings and yet he gives that all up to live in a peasant's household. Paul put it beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Our Savior is the example of someone who used earthly time and earthly means to store up heavenly treasures, and you are those heavenly treasures. He came to win you. And the earthly means he used is not silver or gold. No, he came, he lived, he died on a cross. But because he died, you're forgiven. Because he lives, we have victory. And he's coming again so that our true inheritance will someday be known. You are rich indeed. And when we look at the way Jesus lived, how can we live any differently? How can we live mismanaging any longer? 
See, we have the opportunity today to not waste our lives, but use our lives for impact. So that when we get to the end, we're not like Alexander the Great with a bunch of toys that were in a storehouse strewn all over. No, we have the opportunity to look at things differently. And as long as we live, as long as riches come our way, make huge, huge impact. And so let's talk about that. So when it comes to making an impact and, and money, where does your mind go to of, of how to make the biggest impact? Now, for me, one of the things is providing for family, um, how great it is to be parents who provide good things for their kids. And then I see in our congregation sometimes how it flips, how the kids become the parents and now provide for their uh, parents, take care of them. That's a great thing to do. Um, I, I think of other ministries like uh, Christian education. Um, that's a great, great thing to, to make an impact to fund Christian ed. That's a, a great thing to have Christian schools. I think of Caleb. I don't know how many of you listen to Caleb on the way over. Uh, they have, I think, you know, a few fund drives to, to get them fully funded. That's a great thing. But more recently, I've really been dwelling in what it is to give to those in need and the impact that can be had. And here's why. When, when Jesus returns, uh, Jesus tells a story about uh, what we did as believers, and one of those stories says, you know, when, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave something to me to drink. And when I was naked and needed clothes, you clothed me. And believers ask the question, well, Lord, I remember doing that. I remember seeing you on earth. How, how did I do that? And he says, what, whatever you did for the least of these, you've done for me. In fact, the Bible has many references of how good it is to provide for the needy. Back to the book of James James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How great it is to look after those who are in need. And so at Amazing Love, we're starting a new fund. Uh, from now until the new year, we have a Love Matters offering. And the goal of this offering is that we're going to use a portion of it to start a compassion fund. What we're going to do with that money is that when people come and are in need, they need food, they need gas, they need a place to stay, we're going to use that money and help those who are in need. So we're starting Love Matters. And what I believe is this, our next fill-in, that generosity toward the needy has good impact. It's, it's a great way to use money. It's something noble and worthy. In fact, I think a little bit of what we see in the world, um, have you heard of Jeff Bezos' wife? And what she's doing with her billions. She's already given over $14 billion away. In fact, recently they sold their home in Beverly Hills for $55 million. And instead of taking those profits, uh, she used it to fund housing for the homeless in L.A., 10,000 condo units because she was thinking on those things. She's given $240 million to the Boys and Girls Club of America. And we look at that and say, wow, that's going to make an impact. That's good. It's good to provide for those in need. But what if we at Christians stopped giving to everything and just said, let's give to the poor? Would that be the best impact possible? Would we change the world? Well, Jesus actually has commentary on that. If that's all we would ever do, Jesus tells us, the poor you'll always have. That in a sinful and broken world, we're always going to be wrestling with need and those who need more and more and more. The need will never end because of the dysfunction that's going on through sin. So that's not the best impact. 
So what can we do with money? The point of the parable. Look at it again. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now we look at that, and then we ask the question, okay, Jesus, but how do I use worldly wealth to gain friends for heaven? How is that possible? Should we go around, maybe have a fun drive with Love Matters, maybe $1,000 if they come to church? Is that what God's talking about? I don't know what you're doing on Sunday. Here's the $1,000. We'll see you then. Should we give bonuses to new members? Be a new member? $50,000. Welcome to the club. We're paying you. Is that what the point of the parable is? No. I don't recommend any of that. So that how do I use earthly money and store up heavenly impact? And I think of all the other uses of money. If I only use money and protect my, my children, provide for my children, but they never learn of Jesus, that's short-lived. If I use money and I support Caleb or Christian Ed, but I can't come together with a, a congregation to learn more about Jesus as a family or to sing those songs together in worship, if that goes away, what, what have I really done? If I provide for the needy, and now we're known for being hugely charitable, and we give them meals, but we don't give them the bread of life, what have we really done? And so how do we make an impact? We do it through the church. We do it by supporting what's happening in our community, our faith life, our church home. And so what we find is this, generosity to your local church home leads to eternal impacts. Because here's the reality, the benefits of church. When we come to this place, it's then that you receive forgiveness and love. Through the message of the gospel, through the reception of the sacraments. This is a place that's concerned about your kids. That at every age, they have an opportunity to see Jesus, whether in the Bud's room, whether in access class, whether in teen events. This is a place, unlike any other organization, that is prompted by the Great Commission to go and make disciples. No other organization is going to go out and make disciples like the church. The church is prompted to do this as we bring in the lost, as we bring in family and friends to this place. And we should take pride in our church. Your local church, your church home, is a direct reflection on the time, talent, and treasure that you invest in it. Make no mistake about it. It is as good or as bad as you want it to be. The local church home is our representation of Jesus in the community. And here I pause and I just say thank you. We have so many generous people. So many incredible people. That was seen with my joyful heart, the Frankfurt. You come in and you see generosity right away. Uh, we had to fill up that giving tree again, a second time. People are like, Let, let's give some more. We're not done yet. That's awesome. And this is really, really good. This is how we make eternal impact. You know, I was considering this not only through the lens of David. I remember uh, I, I told the story of his offering when he we gained tons of gold. But, but then my mind also went to this gal who poured out expensive perfume on Jesus. And I don't know if you remember this. It was Mary, and, and she came with this perfume that was worth like years of wages. And, and other people were looking on at what she did and said, oh, you're wasting money, Mary. You're a prodigal, right? 
In fact, this was the, the reference. It says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. But that's not what Jesus thought. Jesus' thoughts were very different. Jesus said, why are you bothering the woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She referenced how it prepared him for burial. She re- he referenced how this story would be told for ages to come because of the generosity towards Jesus. And here's what we know. When we give generously to make Jesus known, no matter how extravagant, it's never wasteful. No matter how much over and above, it's never reckless. These are things to make eternal impacts. How awesome. And Jesus says, I'm watching. You don't have to account to anyone else, but, but I'm watching how you're managing. And there's implications on what you do with money. He goes on and he says, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, there I have another question. Maybe it's why I haven't preached on this parable. You got dishonesty. You have like, how do I make eternal impact? What are more riches than riches? Like, is he talking plutonium? Like, what's going on? What's more rich than rich? Well, here again, we think of what happens inside the church. When you know Jesus, you have the truest treasures. You not only have forgiveness, peace, and life, You have access to a heavenly father who's going to hear every request and answer every need. You have strength that is sufficient so that no matter what you're going through, you can tap into almighty power to help you in every need. You have perspective. You have peace. You know God has a plan. All of this is yours. The true riches are spiritual ones. And i got to remind you, regardless of what's in your bank account, do you know you're rich? You are filthy, stinking rich. Because you know Jesus. And so if I mismanage earthly wealth by saying, mine, 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 and if I manage it well by saying, here, 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 then also I think the corollary is this. When I mismanage the true riches, it's like, well, Jesus is just for me. I'm going to keep it. It's a personal thing. I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to really spread it. You know, I'll just let them, you know, find on their own. It's mine. Whereas true wisdom of managing earthly riches, true riches is here. Here's Jesus. Do you know him? Have you heard of him? He's awesome. True wisdom is is saying, I'm going to do whatever I can to reach the lost with the love of Christ because they all need to know they have a place, they have peace all through Jesus Christ. True generosity is in giving Jesus. That's what the church is all about. You know, it's Peter who referenced this. Peter, the leader of the early Christian church, came across those who were in need. They were beggars at a temple. And as he was entering, he's like, I don't have the lesser riches. I'm sorry I don't have money. But I have the greater ones. <laughs> he, he said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, the, the greater things I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And that day he started walking. And not only that, he started praising God. He didn't just bring healing to his feet. He brought healing to his soul through Jesus. And that's what we do. And so today, may you just dwell in the goodness of a God who made you rich and was delighted to do so.
may you realize our time is short. And we can waste money on many other things, but let's not waste it anymore. Let's give it to make eternal impacts so that many more friends will be seen in heaven. May God empower you to do so. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, at this time, we have the opportunity to encourage one another as a church family. Uh, Today, we'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Feel free to join in as you're comfortable. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, as we continue, just a quick announcement that we use our app for giving along with the box outside. But if you are not, if this is not your church home, don't feel obligated to give. Uh, We just love emphasizing that God is the true giver and uh, making this possible. Um, Also, then, a few announcements. I told you about our Love Matters offering. You'll find that also in the app. Um, So again, uh, feel free for the start of our Compassion Fund. Uh, We have a teen trip downtown. There are sign-ups in the lobby uh, for that. Also, the new uh, member welcome and Thanksgiving celebration with pie. uh, Sign up in the lobby for that. Um, And then our sermon series, Christmas Carols, uh, starting December 4th. Um, How awesome that is. All right. With those announcements, we'll turn our attention towards prayer. Uh, Today, we have a prayer request for Ruth, um, the mother of uh, Michelle Kosek, uh, who has surgery on Monday. Um, After this prayer, we'll also join together in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are the God who knows exactly what we need, for you knit us together in our mother's womb. We're praying your success on the surgery uh, for Ruth on Monday. We're praying for healing and recovering according to your will. But Lord, we know that on the day you call us, you have a place prepared. Help us to keep that in mind as we get sick, as we go through things, that that our final resting spot is with you face-to-face in a world without end. Uh, Lord, we bring this to you in Jesus' name, and I'll join in the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.